Shalom, Shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person by faith accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Va'et Hanan, I pleaded. The address is Devarim, Deuteronomy, chapter 3, verse 23, through chapter 7, verse 11. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman. The written commentary was updated on July 3rd of 2006. Note that all quotations are taken from the complete Jewish Bible translation by David H. Stern. Jewish New Testament publications incorporated unless otherwise noted. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bachar Banu Mikol HaAmim Venatan Lanu Et Torato Baruch Atah Adonai Notein HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe. You have selected us from among all the peoples and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Well, this week's Torah portion contains two of the most fundamental concepts in Judaism. And those are the Ten Words, or the Ten Commandments. In Hebrew, we say the Asarat Hadvarim. And then we also, in this Torah portion, have the um, beginning uh, passage of the Shema. And um, the Shema is a it's kind of like a watchword of Jewish monotheism uh, or, or a watchword of Jewish faith as it's been described um, basically the Shema is a select group of passages chosen to um, well you know what I should just pull out the prayer book and describe the Shema to you out of the prayer book give me one second um, and I'll describe it for you out of the prayer book. Let's see. Okay, here's here's the comment I wanted to read. It's on page 94. Speaking of the recitation of the Shema, and, and this is really the, the intro commentary to the verses that we're going to be looking at today in our portion. It says, The recitation of the three paragraphs of the Shema is required by the Torah, and one must have in mind that he is about to fulfill this commandment. Although one should try to concentrate on the meaning of all three paragraphs, one must concentrate on at least, at least on the meaning of the first verse, um, and uh, and the second verse, because the recitation of Shema represents fulfillment of the paramount commandment of acceptance of God's absolute sovereignty. By declaring that God is one, unique, and indivisible, we subordinate 
uh, every facet of his, of our personalities, possessions, and our very lives to His will. End quote. So the three paragraphs of the Shema are Deuteronomy six verses five through nine. Then we have Deuteronomy eleven verses thirteen through twenty-one. And then finally, the third paragraph is taken out of Numbers chapter 15, verse 37 through 41. And what I'll probably do for you this time, um, since we're talking about the Shema, during this commentary, when I get down to it, uh, we'll actually talk about, or I'll actually read those verses for you in English, then I'll read them for you in Hebrew. And uh, that way, um, if you have never, let me put it this way, if you've never prayed out of the prayer book and you've uh, desired maybe to at least start with the Shema, which in my opinion is a good place to start, um, then I'll, you'll have them for you in audio and that way on this, this uh, parasha, and that way maybe you can go back and uh, listen to them and, and uh, 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 maybe kind of uh, familiarize yourself with the Hebrew and, and uh, maybe even memorize it. So let's get going. This is Parashat Va'et Hanan, and Moshe is still outlining some familiar reminders of Israel's disobedience, you know, from uh, what last few chapters in the book of Numbers, the first few um, chapters in the book of Devarim. And even though Moshe is reminding Israel of where they've gone and the fact that they wandered, the awesome fact is that Hashem nevertheless has brought them this far. That is fact. They have come from Egypt through the desert, through the Red Sea first, through the desert, and now they are ready to go into the land. And so, in fact, again, they're right at the eastern side of the Yardin, the Jordan River. They are ready to go in, if they will trust God this time, learn the lessons that their parents did not learn, and trust God and go in when God says go in. Let's talk about Israel's... Um, place in the world for a few moments. This next section in my commentary is entitled Call to Greatness. Chapter 4 of Deuteronomy here contains what I like to call the Jewish Great Commission. Now, of course, I'm borrowing my phrase Great Commission from the Apostolic Scriptures. Um, those of you of Christian background will recognize this term, the Great Commission. Um, Yeshua tells his Talmudim to go into all the world and make disciples um, of all nations, baptizing them in his name, and to teach them all that he has commanded them. This is found in, in the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew is probably one of the more familiar locations. Matthew, in the latter uh, uh, chapters, I think, what, chapter 28 of Matthew there? We call this the Great Commission because we see our Lord and Savior commissioning the disciples, the Shlechim, the sent ones, to go out and take that which God has laid on their heart, placed on their heart, take that to the surrounding nations. Remember Yeshua's words in the first parak, the first chapter of the book of Acts, where Yeshua says that, um, um, you know, you're going to, this, this gospel is going to be preached in all, in all of Jerusalem and, and indeed to the other ends of the world. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you're going to receive power and you're going to take this message. And so that's the commission as it were. Now using that, that, that theme, let's go back here to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Here in verses 1 through 14 of Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moshe carefully instructs the community to live out the Torah in such a way that the surrounding nations will see and learn about the unique and awesome mercy of the one and only true God. So in one sense, it, it's a commission to live 
according to God's ways. Now, you can easily spot some of the differences between this passage here in Deuteronomy and the example that I just gave out of the book of Matthew. Yeshua is telling the disciples to go from one location outward. Yet here in the Deuteronomy passage, they're not being sent. They're actually staying put, but they are still providing a witness via their lifestyle. So the surrounding nations are still going to encounter the gospel, the good news, the genuine truth of God's um, saving right arm. But the, the, the nations are going to experience it as they interact with Israel and come in and through Israel's position where they are in the Middle Eastern land bridge there. So let's read these verses. And because of their significance, I want to quote this passage at length. I just want to read verses 5 through 14 out of the Pentateuch. Okay, quote, this is Moshe speaking, of course God's voice. See, I have taught you rules and laws as God my Lord has commanded me so that you will be able to keep them in the land which you are, which you, to which you are coming and which you will be occupying. Safeguard and keep these rules, since this is your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the nations. They will hear all of these rules and say, This great nation is certainly a wise and understanding people. What nation is so great that they have God close to it as God our Lord is whenever we call him? What nation is so great that they have such righteous law, uh, righteous rules and laws like this entire Torah that I am presenting before you today? Only take heed and watch yourself very carefully so that you do not forget the things that your eyes saw. Do not let this memory leave your hearts all the days of your lives. Teach your children and children's children about the day you stood before God your Lord at Horeb. It was then that God said to me, Congregate the people for me, and I will let them hear my words. This will teach them to be in awe of me as long as they live on earth, that they will also teach their children. You approached and stood at the foot of the mountain. The mountain was burning with a fire reaching the heart of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and mist. Then God spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no image. There was only a voice. He announced to you his covenant, instructing you to keep the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of, or two stone tablets. At that time, God commanded me to teach you rules and laws, so that you will keep them in the land which you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. End quote. It's a very powerful passage if you just stop and listen to the words that Moshe is speaking to the people. And what makes this passage stand out is Israel's position and influence among the surrounding people groups. Did you catch it there? Notice the words that Moshe puts into the mouth of the surrounding nations. I'll just read them for you again. What nation is so great that they have God close to it as... I'm sorry. Um, uh, let's see. What nation is so great that they have... Uh, is it there? They will hear these... Yeah, um, <clears throat> it says, let me back up a verse. It says, speaking of the surrounding nation, nations, people groups, it says, they will hear all these rules and say, and then it says, quote, this great, this great nation is certainly a wise and understanding people. <laughs> Did you get the, catch it there? The, the surrounding people groups would look at Israel and say, wow, this is a great nation. What a wise nation. And, um, and then, um, uh, you know, the, the, the Israelites would respond, what nation is so great that they have God close to it as God our Lord is whenever we call him? 
and then look at their second quote. It says, um, What nation is so great that they have such righteous rules and laws like this entire Torah that I'm presenting before you today? That's Moshe speaking. So we see that Israel was placed where they were by God to be a witness to the surrounding nations. A commission, as it were. God was commissioning Israel to be a fishbowl nation placed strategically there in the Middle East, kind of like, as I mentioned, a land bridge between um, Upper Asia Minor and, and, and uh, Upper Egypt, or, or Asia Minor and, and Upper Egypt, um, you know, to the north and to the south of Israel. And then we had, um, uh, you know, Babylon to the, to the immediate east of, of, of Israel. And then being kind of a natural seaport, the Mediterranean and, and the, uh, the coast there, the western coast of Israel, as ships would come in and do their commerce and stuff coming into Israel. So we, we see God knew what he was doing when he placed Israel where he placed them. Such a legacy to be the vessels to share the precious word of Hashem with those who have not heard. We, we, we use this term, um, the chosen people. But we stop, we often forget chosen for what? Yes, they were chosen, but why were they chosen? They were chosen to serve the rest of mankind. They were, they were chosen out from the nations so that they could turn around and become the servants of the Lord. And so in that respect, Israel reminds us of the Great Commission. God chose, through Yeshua of course, these twelve men to take the good news to those who had not heard. They were servants of the Lord Himself, servants of the Master. You know, in the Tanakh, the Torah emanated, as it were, from Israel for the entire world to see. Do you remember how Yeshua described in Matthew chapter 5 that ye are the light of the world and that you should not hide your light under a bushel? Um, and he gave an example of how a city set on a hill cannot be hid. Well, in a, in, in, in a real sense, that is what Jerusalem was to become. A city set on a hill with the light shining forth for everyone to see the light of God's truth, of God's grace, of His mercy, of His salvation, of His of His forgiveness. All of this would emanate or radiate from Israel for the entire world to see. And even though today, as you read the news, you listen to the uh, uh, the radio or watch TV, and you, you you hear about Israel, they don't seem very bright right now. But that's okay. You just keep reading your scriptures, particularly pay attention to the prophets and to the, uh, uh, the prophecies given in the apostolic scriptures, the book of Revelation, for example. And you're going to find out that one day Israel and indeed Jerusalem will in fact be the light to the world that she was destined to be from the day that God created her. And again, in the apostolic scriptures, Yeshua's Talmudim actually took the Torah to the world. We miss that sometimes in the Great Commission in our churches. We don't we don't see that when Yeshua said, Go into all the world and make disciples, Talmudim. When a rabbi makes a disciple, and that's of course what Yeshua was, a teacher, a rabbi, when a Talmudim makes disciples, the rabbi takes his own teachings and puts them into the mind and the spirit of the student, his Talmud. And in, a, in, a, in, in, in one sense, he confers the authority that he himself has onto the student. He gives the student the authority to speak in his own name. 
And so what do you think the student, the Talmud, is going to be teaching as he goes about from place to place representing his rabbi? He's not going to be speaking his own words. To be sure, he's going to be speaking the words of his rabbi. He's going to be an imitation of his master. He's going to be a, 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 a student, a proper student, a proper disciple, repeats the words the master taught him. And so when Yeshua says, go into all the world and make disciples, what do you think the disciples were supposed to teach? They weren't teaching their own words, and they weren't teaching under their own authority. They had been invested with, or vested, with the authority from Yeshua. He granted them this authority to, uh, to teach in his name, to speak in his name, and to take the very words that God had given him to the nations. God gave Yeshua the Torah. Yeshua was the righteous servant spoken about in the book of Isaiah. God gave his Torah to Yeshua. Yeshua gave his Torah to his Talmudim, and the Talmudim were to take the Torah to the nations. So, the Torah is going to the world. And so, again, we see here in Devarim that Israel also has this commission. All right? They are to walk out the Torah. They are to live God's words and God's ways so that the peoples around them would, in fact, encounter God. Remember, the Word of God is powerful. That's what Timothy tells me. It's quick and powerful. Of course, through the agency of the Spirit, it can bring a person to um, the point of salvation. Indeed, it is the very same good news that is contained within the Torah, the message of mercy and of grace, uh, the mercy and grace of an all-loving, all-forgiving God who is intimately interested in the well-being of his created subjects, both Jew and non-Jew. God was not content to give Israel the truth alone. God wanted to, to, to have this truth go forth and to eventually spread throughout the entire earth so that all men may come into a right relationship with God. God loves everyone. God created everyone. And because he loves us, he's going to reach out to us. He's going to bridge the gap that we ourselves created when we sinned in the garden. And because the gap is there and it's unbridgeable by us, then he is the one who has done it for us. He sent his son to die on our behalf, to, to repair the breach, and to um, uh, reconcile us back to the Father. And in that reconciliation, do you think he's going to withhold giving us his words of truth, the same ones he gave to Israel? Of course not. In the repairing of the relationship with God, the Spirit of God is going to write the Torah of God on the heart of a man, and therefore the words of truth are going to... Um, um, exist within the man. And so that's what I'm trying to convey here. Let's move on now to these words. Let's talk about the Ten Commandments. Let's talk about the words of God. We are all familiar with the Ten Commandments, both Jews and Christians alike, because this tradition of the Ten Words, um, the Asrat Hadavraim, which my next uh, section in my commentary is entitled, we are all familiar that these are the, the fundamental moral and spiritual building blocks of each community. In fact, in America, we have what's known as a Judeo-Christian ethic or Judeo-Christian tradition. And in this tradition, when we say Judeo-Christian, we are referring to the fact that our own constitution is based upon the Ten Commandments. It's based upon the, the moral requirements as outlined in the Word of God. So it's no secret that the Ten Commandments play an important part in both Jewish and Christian circles. So, this next section is entitled, 
Asarat Hadvarim, the ten words. Moshe mentions the ten words in chapter 4, verse 13, and, um, and chapter 5 is easily given over to mostly repeating what we've already read about in Exodus chapter 20. Um, if you recall, the, the Ten Commandments are outlined in Exodus chapter 20. That's where most people are familiar with finding them. But we have another listing here in Deuteronomy, and that's why I'm bringing it up into my commentary. So allow me <clears throat> to um, recall my comments from their more familiar location in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, this is just, again, to, to, to familiarize us with the Ten Commandments and the concepts uh, explained there. So I'm going to pull a quote from, um, from my previous commentary, all right? Quote, the theme surrounding the giving of the Torah, embodied in the Ten Words, is one of the most, if not the most, significant events in the history of the offspring of Avraham. Surely it carries the most impact even for Jewish folks today. Our sin nature, however, makes us prone to disobedience. The Torah of Hashem serves to remind us of how short we fall when we try to measure up to God's righteousness. Now, while it is true, while it is true that no one alive could have ever systematically, as compared to conceptually, no one alive could have ever systematically kept all of the commandments of God, it is also true that Hashem never expected anyone to systematically be able to. The Torah doesn't demand systematic perfection, else there would be no need of the upcoming details concerning sacrifices for sin. What the Torah expects from its followers is genuine, trusting faithfulness to the giver of the Torah, who is the Holy One of Israel. Today, that implies placing one's complete trust in his only unique son, Yeshua. Now, the Torah is a document of grace, not law. We need to begin to understand that this is the true nature and function of the Torah. Translator David H. Stern in his complete Jewish Bible stated it succinctly when he explained, quote, for the goal at which the Torah aims is the Messiah who offers righteousness to everyone who trusts, end quote. And uh, that, that um, verse, that Pasuk from David Stern was Romans 10 verse 4 out of his uh, translation of his Bible. In an open commentary to a well-known Messianic Colorado forum, I decided to supply these words, these comments about the ten words, okay? Allow me to read this quote as well, and then we'll move on. Quote, We in the 20th... And I wrote this, obviously, before the year 2000. So it says, We in the 20th century... So obviously these comments are at least, what, seven years old? We in the 20th century have a tendency to reduce the Torah into numbers, in essence, the Ten Commandments... Because it, is because it conveniently serves our intellect to present something so seemingly monumentally complex, uh, complex into bite-sized chunks that we can handle. This remains one of the primary roots of our problem in our approach to the Torah. It is a complete functional document. It is designed for us to receive it as a whole or not at all. In fact, I went on to add in parenthesis, do we divide the Messiah up this way? Of course not. Then why do we do it to the written Messiah? Why do we um, pull out the parts that we like and spit out the parts that we don't like? All right. I go on to say, if we think that only ten belong to this group, or that the New Covenant only spells out these two to that group, or even that we should only focus on these four, a reference to Acts chapter 15 and Acts 21, then in my opinion we have missed the point. The Torah is a unit 
document, and only the living Torah, Yeshua, could improve, that is, modify the original, even if he did. We have no authority dissecting it. End quote. Why did I even bring up that information about the ten words? Well, again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the Ten Commandments in the uh, study here to Dar Devarim. If you want to get more on the uh, the uh, Aserat HaDevarim, then go back and read them in my commentary to, um, I believe it's Parashat Yitro out of the book of Exodus, which covers chapter 20 in the book of Exodus. The Ten Commandments are foundational to a society that wishes to find itself enjoying the favor of Almighty God. Of course, there are multiple examples that I could give of communities that disregard the very basics of the Ten Commandments. Um, there are communities that disregard the commandment not to murder, the commandment not to steal, the commandment not to um, commit adultery, the commandments um, uh, to, to not to make uh, images, um, uh, you know, graven images and things like that. Commandments are uh, uh, communities that ignore God's um, warning against serving anyone except the one true God of heaven. And guess what? These are the communities that, over time, history will record that they have um, disappeared from, from the earth. God has allowed these communities to expire eventually because they do not uphold his words. So in one sense, we can see that the Ten Commandments is a universal application for all people groups. But my point is that I don't believe that it should have stopped there. Eventually, I believe it's God's plan that the entire Torah be walked out by everyone on earth, Jew and Gentile alike, because it's God's plan that we all come into a right relationship with God. And this means that eventually God is inviting everyone to join Israel, is, is really my point. So the Ten Commandments are not merely for Israel or merely for the church. The sad legacy is that even though Judaism has retained the uh, proper perspective on let's do the Ten and let's do the other 603 that, that we have outlined, viz. the 613 total mitzvot. The sad legacy is that the church at first held on to the ten, but you know, as we get closer and closer to the second coming of Yeshua, there are even Christian groups who are now attacking the ten, where they're saying, you know, we, we really don't need the ten commandments. We, you know, we, we, we don't even need any commandments at all. We, we can just, we can govern ourselves. We don't really need to have God telling us what to do. Uh, we're, we're big. We're big kids now, and we can handle it for, from here. And so, it's a shame that that, uh, that that we would come up with this 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 uh, conclude. We would come to this conclusion, this this illogical um, uh, conclusion that we don't need God's help. It's a shame. And so, pray for us. Pray, when I say us, I mean the the, the, the body of Christians um, who are struggling with uh, the authority and application of God's words. Let's pray for us. If you're part of a group that that feels that the Ten Commandments at least do not bear any relevance uh, to, to you as a community, pray for your community. Pray for your leaders. Pray that God's Spirit will convict them and that God would have mercy on us as we um, fast, as we hold fast to His words and as we seek to um, um, do His will and as we wait for His Son to approach. So continue to pray for your communities, all right? Uh, it's about 30 minutes into the commentary at this point, so I'm going to go ahead and call this Part A. And uh, we're at the bottom of page three. When we return, we are going to start talking about the Shema. And uh, we're going to start at the bottom of page three with the section entitled, Hear, O Israel. Okay, stay tuned. <laughs> 